0: this is episode number 128 with Darren Rouse of The Founder Podcast.
1: What you need is thirst. You need to be a
0: thirsty human who is intent on learning.
1: It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 Now, The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help.
0: just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to share your earbuds with me and your attention. I know there are a lot of podcasts out there. I know there's a lot of noise out there in this space, and I really just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time and choosing you know, Founder as a resource to help you level up as an entrepreneur and founder. Uh, my name is Nathan Chan. I'm the CEO and host of the Founder Podcast, and today you're in for a treat Uh, I'm speaking to the godfather of blogging his name's Darren Rouse if you do have a startup you do have a business and you're not utilizing content marketing to get more traffic to draw you know to build your business then you're missing out and this guy is one of the best in the world at it he runs a, a, a company called digital photography school it's uh, one of the top uh, photography blogs in the world, generates millions upon millions of visitors, and he also runs a very, very, very successful blog called Problogger. Uh, Darren's actually a fellow Melburnian, and we connected about a year or so ago and he asked me to speak at his event, Problogger, and uh, incredible event uh you know he he's a master of content he knows what's up and i just pick his brain on what it takes to build and grow a successful content based business but also if you want to start a blog if you want to create content and want to get into some of this stuff he really details it very very well he's an incredible teacher as well and he's been at this for a very long time that's why i call him the godfather of blogging all right guys uh if you are enjoying these episodes Please, please, please do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud, wherever you're listening to this. And uh, please do share this with a friend or two or three or maybe even 10. Depends how many entrepreneurial startup friends that you have, but please do share this around. It helps more than you can imagine. All right, guys, that's it from me. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are around the world. Now let's jump into the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today, Darren.
1: No problem. It's great to be chatting again.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's awesome. (laughs) Um, So the first question I ask everyone that comes on is, uh, how did you get your job? Wow.
1: Um, It was an accident, a complete fluke, really. Uh, I'd been working as a youth worker and as a minister in churches for years. And um, one day a friend shot me an email just saying, check out this blog. And I'd didn't really know what a blog was. It was back in 2002. And so I clicked the link to find out what a blog was really. And and within an hour or two, I knew I wanted to start one, but I had no inkling that it would be anything more than a fleeting hobby because I didn't have a a habit of sticking to things for too long. I have a long string of uh, half finished projects in my life. Um, And so I started a blog that day, a couple of hours later with no technical background or no Idea, what I was doing. If I thought any more about it, I probably wouldn't have done it because it would have all seemed too hard. But I started it back in two thousand and two, and it was just a personal journal. It was just uh, me talking about you know spirituality and postmodernism and movies and politics. Um, (laughs) But for some reason, people read it, and (laughs) I it was bizarre um, that first few weeks of you know strangers leaving comments on my thoughts, and I'm like, okay, this is this is kind of. Interesting, Um, and it quickly became a bit of an obsession. Became a bit of an addiction, I think. Um, And over time, over that next year, it grew to a point where it was being read by tens of thousands of people around the world. And I, it started to cost me money. And really, the reason I started to monetize it was just to try and pay, you know, make it break even. And so I put some ads on it Mm. um, with Google AdSense ads, and. It made a few dollars a day and and I kind of got to the point where I was breaking even. I was able to pay for my dial-up internet, (laughs) get onto broadband
0: (laughs) and update my
1: computer and and it became a part-time job you know, a day a week and I was able to give up some of the work that I was doing and gradually over the next year or so, it became two days a week and then three days a week and then um, I convinced my wife that I was going to be a full-time blogger and she um, agreed that I should give up uh, the rest of the work that I was doing. And I finished some study around that time too. And I made the leap to full time, um, along the way, starting other blogs as well. So I began to niche down into particular uh, topics rather than just write a general blog about life. I began to blog about photography and then later about blogging itself.
0: Mm. So what was this first blog called?
1: Uh, the first blog was called Living Room, and it was I was working in a church, as I said before, and and we were involved in a little group called the Living Room, which was meeting in a nor- you know sort of northern suburbs of Melbourne, and and so part of that blog was to document that journey. Um, so it started off, I guess if, if you had to give it a niche, it would have been spirituality. Yeah. So that, that's what that first blog was. It doesn't exist anymore because I let the domain go accidentally. Oh, <laughs> made that oh, horrible mistake.
0: What I was made. the domain?
1: Uh, livingroom.org.au. So it was, uh, oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Was a good one. Yeah, it was a good one. Um, someone's <laughs> squatting it now and it's all gone. So sad.
0: <laughs> okay. Wow. Um, so you started living room. Then you slowly made that transition from, yep. you know, part-time to full-time blogger. And at what point did you start uh, digital photography school then pro blogger?
1: Yeah, so the first niche sort of blog I started was a blog called Digital Photography Blog, which was on that living room domain. So it was a a horrible mistake, really. (laughs) Terrible for branding uh, to have a photography blog and a blog about a church. Um, But I did it. And uh, one of the advantages of doing it was that it ranked pretty well in Google pretty quickly because it it kind of borrowed some of the link juice from that other site. And so that was the first blog I started to monetize. And it was a blog about reviewing cameras. And I aggregated aggregated reviews that other people were doing of cameras from around the web, particularly digital photography cameras. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was the first monetized blog I started. But it wasn't the most satisfying blog to create. Um, I was essentially aggregating what other people were doing. And I didn't have an ongoing relationship with my readers. People were just coming to a research which camera they should buy and then they disappeared and it didn't come back for two years until they bought their next one. Uh, and so all the time I had that blog, I, I thought, you know, I really would love to have uh, more of a tips related blog about photography because photography is one of my hobbies and my friends come to me and ask me questions about it all the time. So I started digital photography school, I think in 2007, as a basically to document the, the answers to those questions I was being asked um, and closed down that other blog, even though it was making $100,000 a year, it was a bit yeah, of a risk wow. and focus my energy on on DPS digital photography school. ProBlogger started a bit earlier. That was 2004. And that was about the time I was starting to transition from a part-time blogger into a full-time blogger and I was kind of at that cusp of of going full-time and so I began basically there just to document what I was learning. Um, no one else was talking about making money from blogs back then. It was um, almost controversial uh, and so it was a bit of a hope, hopeful um, way of connecting with other people who were doing that as well and it turned out there were a few other people starting to do it around that time too and um, we swapped ideas and learned from each other
0: I see. And so you started ProBlogger in 2004. Four. 2004. Okay, so you've been running ProBlogger for over 10 years and DPS for over 10 years. So wow, that's a long time.
1: Yeah, it's um it's it feels like a very long time in internet years, I think.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay, wow. So I guess um you know take us through like just just between those 10 years what what has been you know, the highlights, has it, has it, because blogging has, has, you know, risen in terms of popularity and more and more people using the internet and reading blogs and using Google. Like how, how has things gone? Has it been just like an upward trend just constantly or has it been up and down?
1: Uh, Look, it has been a little, little up and down. Um, it, I fell out of Google rankings at one Christmas um, 10 or so years ago. And so that was a big down just after I'd gone full-time. I had to go and get a part-time job. (laughs) Um, But apart from that, it's been upward most of the time. And my goal when I started making money from the blogs was never to hit a certain amount, but it was always to keep the trend Trending upwards, and so I always had this goal that every month I wanted to be ten percent higher in traffic than the month before. Uh, I didn't always hit that, but I knew if I could keep that sort of 20 percent growth every month, that exponential growth would kick in at some point and it would um, speed up. and that's certainly what happened to a point. There is a point where you begin to plateau a bit. Um, mm-hmm. most blogs do, and for me, it was you know three or four years in it began to plateau a little bit um, on both of my blogs, but that's when you begin to consolidate and you know think about starting you know side projects and um, you know, there's other things you can do at that point to keep uh, the monetary growth going I guess the income um, growing um, and certainly it's been a real transition as I look at both of those main blogs ProBlogger and DPS they they grew in very different ways ProBlogger exploded as soon as I announced I was making six figures of blogging it mm. went. Crazy, um, and became you know a bit of a sensation and and almost a bit controversial, which helped in in some ways. Whereas digital photography school, it was very slowly you know day by day growth. Um, there was no tipping point. There was no day where I you know a bit suddenly went big. Um, and so I think both ways can really you know do well for you.
0: Mm. Yeah. So are you able to give some numbers and metrics of how far you've taken both DPS and, and ProBlogger? Just, just some, some, I guess, some clarity for the audience?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, I don't actually know the numbers <laughs> on ProBlogger at the moment. I'd have to look that up. But Digital Photography School, it goes up and down from month to month, depending on – it's it's a bit seasonal. Um, But around 4 million, up to 5 million people per month read Digital Photography School. Yeah, um, wow. So, and ProBlogger's – you know, maybe a tenth of that. It's it's nowhere near as big um, in terms of numbers. Um, there's obviously a lot more people with digital cameras than blogs, and bloggers tend to need that type of resource for their first two or three years and then they don't come as much because they're on their own feet or they've given up. So whereas photography, you can there's always something to learn and there's always something new happening in that space. So people, we find our readers tend to stick around for a lot longer on digital photography school as well. Um, yeah, so inca- income and traffic on both are, you know, it's about a tenth on, on Pro Blogger to digital photography school.
0: Yeah, wow. Because, you know, the it's interesting because you know the first time I heard about ProBlogger was you know when I around the time I started founder and and I never knew that you were from Australia. I always assumed that you were from America. Mm. And and I know you told me you get this all the time. And I remember one of my friends saying, you know, like the blogosphere is actually in Melbourne. Like that's where Darren Rouse lives. And I was like, wow. So, you know, you you are like kind of um known as like the OG you know, original blogger that started, you know, the blogosphere where, you know, where there's all these other guys that have kind of sprung up from from reading your stuff. How does that um, compute for you knowing that there's all these new people springing up, uh, essentially mm-hmm. staying relevant?
1: Yeah. Oh, look, it's, I mean, I don't know that I'm, I would consider myself in those terms. Um, <laughs> You're but, a modest guy. <laughs> but I, I mean, I love meeting people who say, I read you in the early days and now I'm full-time and that I hear that all the time. And that's, mm. I think perhaps because I do live in Australia, I don't hear that as much as perhaps it's happened. Um, mm. When I go to the States, I hear it all the time and it just blows me away. I get quite emotional thinking about all the people whose lives have been changed by something I've written, mm. um, which is fantastic. Look, it is a challenge to keep writing about the same topic for that length of period and coming up with fresh ways to talk about it, um, and to stay engaged with that topic. Um, there's been periods where it's been hard to keep going, particularly with pro Blogger. Yeah, but it's it's. I think it it's hearing those stories that's kept me going. Um, and so one of the tips I always give people is to choose a topic that is meaningful to you, because if you're going to be at this for ten years, and you probably need to be to get to a point where it'll be significant in terms of income, you, you need to be able to get through those tough times where you feel like you've said everything already, or you feel like people aren't engaging with you yet. You need to be doing something that's meaningful to you and that is meaningful to other people as well and has the potential to um, change their lives in some way. I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in doing stuff that changes people. Um, and if you can do that, it will help you to get through those humps that um, feel tough or that are tough. Mm, yeah, because that's really where the real gold's at, right? Ah, oh, for sure. It's um, if you can find the intersection point between what you know and what the world needs, that's a meaningful thing. Um, and that's going to um, hopefully, be a profitable thing as well. I didn't come up with that. I read that somewhere. So I'm not sure who it was. But yeah.
0: Because yeah. I remember actually you were talking about, um you know, before we caught up, I said I watched one of your um talks at, I think it was Infusion, so- no, HubSpot. HubSpot. Yeah, HubSpot, yeah. And you were talking about the breakthroughs. Mm. Can you tell us about that? Because I found that really fascinating.
1: Okay, um, so that talk was all about being lucky.
0: Yes, 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 yes,
1: yes, yes Um, yes. And it was, you know, seven things that you can do to kind of be, I guess, position yourself for lucky things to happen to you. Mm. Um, and, I, I, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, doing things that are meaningful. I think that was, that was one thing, doing things that drive you. But um, being a learner, I think, was one of them as well. I can't remember them all off the top of my head. <laughs>
0: no, that's <laughs> yeah. all right. That's but I am
1: a you know big believer that you know you've got to position yourself for for good things to happen to you and for luck to happen to you. And you know part of that's about pushing doors open, experimenting all the time, looking for those little sparks of opportunity that come your way. And that's been a big part of my story as I as I look back over the last thirteen or so years nothing big has ever happened to me out of the blue. It's always started as something tiny. It's always started as an idea that's keeping me awake at night or um, just something that someone says in conversation that gives me an idea that won't go away. And it's about paying attention to those things that give you energy doing experiments around those things so you know and having a blog is the perfect way to do an experiment to put a post out there and to watch what happens as a result of you putting your idea out there and when other people get energy by what gives you energy they they're the golden moments and that's what you need to invest your time into so I'm a big believer in you know learning as much as you can sucking in as much information as you can and paying attention to what gives you energy and and experimenting around that
0: yeah no it's it's funny you say that because I was just thinking like when we started that Instagram course, the reason that, that we started an Instagram course and I never even thought we'd get into, you know, the online education space in terms of video courses and stuff was because we wrote a blog post about Instagram and that mm. just exploded yep. and that that's still to this day the most successful blog post on our site because we just, you know, really went in depth and, and just People just were blown away by it. And then I was just like, well, guys, like, would you be interested in a course on how to do some of this stuff? And yeah, it just really took off. So yeah, a blog is a really great place to run experiments and tests. Yeah, for
1: sure. And you know, my best-selling product is an ebook, 31 Days to Build a Better Blog. And that started at 2 a.m. one night, an idea that wouldn't go away. And I got up and wrote it saying, I'm gonna start this free series tomorrow mm. if you wanna, if there's enough interest in it. I woke up the next morning. There was there was energy coming back to me and I ran it. Um, and then I ran it the next year and I ran it the next year because it, the interest grew and it turned into a, an ebook, which turned into a second ebook, which turned into a series of podcasts. Um, and it's the best thing I've ever done. But it all started by paying attention to that little idea and then watching to see what happened as a result of it. Um, the same thing is true for many of the products that we've created on Digital Photography School. Um, we we always are analysing how articles, how our tutorials are going over and if mm-hmm. one takes off, it turns into you know a follow-up and then um, we begin to do some surveys and testing around whether people might be interested in that type of product. And then eventually, hopefully, it'll become either a course
0: or an ebook or or something else. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, you know, I have to ask the question. I don't know if you've ever been asked this much before, um, but I was talking to our our mutual friend Dan Norris the other day, um, and he was talking. You know, we're talking about you know, eventually maybe selling your company and stuff like that. And he said, like, you know, because I've always thought I'd never want to sell founder, but he said a realistic way to look at it is, you know. Eventually, your business will be sold or or will go bankrupt. And you know you've been having these blogs, having a ton of success for a very long time. a lot of people are familiar with your work. I'm wondering, have you had many offers for for either of the blogs and and why have you kept going with them? Have you ever got bored?
1: I've definitely had offers along the way, not it's certainly not every year. Mm. Um, it's There's been a, a handful of them over the thirteen years. I've always said no, partly because the price just wrong right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, you get fishing expeditions of people, you know, giving low-ball offers. Um, there's been a couple <laughs> yeah. of times where there have been very good offers, but I felt like there was a, a lot more upside in in terms of the business that I could see I could grow it further. Mm. Um Pro blogger would I think would be harder to sell because it's more of a personal brand yeah uh, it's more of a Darren blog even though I don't blog anywhere near as much as I used to and we do have a lot of other writers on it whereas mm. digital photography school I've never put my name front and center it's not a Darren blog at all in fact I don't I've probably written three or four posts in the last year on it yeah. I have a whole team running it now and it's quite independent and so that would be easier to sell and and I guess in the back of my mind I would like to sell it eventually mm. um, but at the in the meantime, it's it's enjoyable, and because I've got a team involved now, I don't feel like it's sucking energy away from my life um, because other people are kind of investing their creative thoughts into it. Uh, if I'd had to write the, that blog the whole time, I, I probably would be a bit more burnt out on that topic.
0: Mm. Mm. Okay, interesting. Yeah, because um, that's actually something a mentor said to me as well. Like, you know, you think that you never want to sell your business, but I promise you, one day you will you want to like, you mm. know, and, and, and the offer might come around. So I had to ask you that question. So I want to delve, you know, let's, let's switch things up. I want to delve a little bit deeper around, you know, I guess just blogging basics. Like sure. what, are, what are some things that people can learn? Like if you have a startup that you're running, you know, or if you want to start a lifestyle business, um, you know, why should people be blogging? What are some, so what are some things people should be doing? How often should be people be blogging, you know, just run us through like what you recommend to people usually Darren.
1: Yeah sure. Um, I guess it, the, there's different types of blogs and that's probably one of the first things you need to ponder is you know what's the goal of the blog is it is the blog going to make money? Um, and you know, my blogs started out, I ran advertising on them. That's how they made money. And so the blog itself made money, whereas other people would start a blog to support an existing business that they already have, um, and use a blog more for content marketing, um, mm. to build their profile, to build their brand and to um, drive people to that business. So there's, there's that distinction that you need to make there. Um, and so,
0: Really, the answer to that will determine how you want to
1: build that blog. <laughs> um, okay,
0: all right. Let's just go down one pathway. Let's yep. go. Let's go down the pathway of like someone starting a business. They know what the business is about. You know, they're trying to drive traffic. Um, you know, they mm-hmm. want to get more lead, sales, followers, and profit. Sure.
1: Yeah. So, if you are uh, um, wanting to use the blog to to support a business and not make money directly, you need to think about ultimately what you want your readers to do is probably to buy your product or to hire you. And so you want to start creating content on a regular basis. That's going to be the first step in that journey. Um, And so positioning yourself, um, thinking about the customer that you want to have, I guess, and what is interesting to them. Um, What are their pain points? I'm a big believer in writing content and creating content that's um, going to eliminate pain in the life of of those you you, um, want to read your blog, uh, um, solve problems, fix needs, um, and touch on those sort of fears that people have and the dreams that people have as well. And so Mm. you want to be really thinking about who your reader is first, and then think about how you want to change your reader with your content. Mm. Um, And so this is an exercise that I do on my blogs all the time, whether no matter what type of blog you have, um, where is your reader when they come to you? Yes. What are their problems and needs, yes. and where do you want them to be as a result of reading your blog? And do that on a whiteboard. Put a line between them, and once you've got that point A and point B, you can begin to fill in the gaps. What do they need to know? What do you need to teach them that will get them from point A to point B? And those become your blog points and your blog posts. Um, So for me on digital photography school, where my readers come, they're in automatic mode. They've got these great cameras. They don't know how to use them. They're taking average photos. Mm. I want them to, that's where they are. I want them to have full creative control of their cameras. That's point B. And so I know that if I want to get them from one point to the other, They need to learn about things like aperture and shutter speed, how to hold a camera, all these basic things. And so I did this exercise um, when I started digital photography school and I came up with about 200 things that they needed to know Mm. to have full creative control of their cameras. And so that was my first year's content. Yeah! Wow. Um, so that's just a really simple exercise that you can do that will help you to create content that's actually going to change people's lives in some way. May only be a small way. It may not be you know solving poverty or you know changing the world in that way. But um, if you're changing people in some way, they're going to come back and they're going to tell other people about it. And I think that's a really big. Big way to build a successful blog, yeah, so you know creating content that that takes people on that journey. the other type of content you want to think about is shareable content um and you don't want to just do shareable content you don't don't want to just do funny things or infographics or because uh, that kind of content that shareable content is. Can be a lot bit light and fluffy. It doesn't mm. tend to change people as much, yeah. but you do want to sprinkle it in. And so for digital photography school, we realized that our readers really responded to when we did a post that was 20 images on a certain topic. You know, beautiful, gorgeous images. Um, our readers responded to humor. They responded to any time we mentioned Canon versus Nikon. <laughs> it started a debate. Um, those type of pieces of content got shared a lot. So a good place to go and find that type of content for your um, particular topic is Sumo.
0: Um, Yes, BuzzSumo, that's killer. It's expensive, but you can use a free version, which is awesome.
1: So you just type in your your topic and it will show you the most shared pieces of content on that topic and that they're the type of pieces of content you want to sprinkle amidst the Mm. other cornerstone content that you create. Um, So that shareable content often gets the eyeball and then you can pull people from it into your cornerstone content that builds credibility. And if you want to convince someone to become a customer of yours, you need to build that credibility. You need to show that you know what you're talking about. So don't just do light and fluffy stuff. Um, like I, listicles. You don't want to just do the listicles, although mm. they, they can be powerful. But You like I the find, listicles. I like listicles, but I always um, – some of my best listicles are actually lists with links to my cornerstone content. So ah. here's 10 things you need to know about blogging. And then if you want to learn more about each of these 10 things, there's a link into a 2000 word article on that topic. Ah. So you get the share with the list, but you get the conversion, the loyal reader, because they work through some of that further reading and they're like, wow, they know what they're talking about. I need to subscribe. Um, So really think about that type of content, mix it up but always be driving people deeper into your blog to the content that's going to change their life
0: in some way. Yeah. Wow. All right. This is awesome. This is, we're really channelling some good wisdom here, Darren. I'm loving it. All right. So I have a few other questions, you know, um, you know, one, and this is something that um, I've been thinking about with the founder team is we're producing brilliant content right now. We produce maybe three blog posts a week, and these are like in-depth, life-changing pieces, and we're really, you know, tackling certain things, and the really, really useful pieces that we're tackling. Um, But the next question, and this is something I raised to my team, was like, guys, we're producing epic content, killer content, but we're not doing anything around promotion besides, you know, having our automated systems promote it through Twitter, promote it through Facebook. Do you guys have a process when you produce a piece of content around promoting it? Because content production is only half the work, right? Mm.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, look. Killer content is great and it will get shared if you've already got readers. But Mm. if you're just starting out and you don't have any readers, you need to do the sharing. You need to seed that content yourself. Um, And so you're probably at a point where it's going to have benefits if you're promoting it, but you've already got the readers who are going to do that for you to some extent. So Mm. if you're just starting out, yeah, I think it's really important to get off your blog to not just have a build-it-and-they-will-come mentality mm. because they won't just come, um, no matter how good it is, you need to be pushing it out there. A really simple thing you can do is to grab a piece of paper or open a document and identify the top three bloggers in your niche, the top three Instagrammers, the top three podcasters, the top three Twitter users, the top three Facebook pages. Come up with a, a list of the most influential people in your particular topic, and then ask yourself, how can I build a useful presence on those blogs, on those Facebook pages, in those podcasts? They're the places you should be hanging out, adding value, not just promoting your stuff, but actually solving problems for people who are also hanging out there. Um, that gets you on the radar of those types of people. Um, you know, that then opportunities come for guest posting, for being interviewed on podcasts, um for engaging on their Facebook page and and them sharing your content as well. That's what I did when I started out, and it really worked very well. So um, you know don't see other people who are doing what you're doing as competitors actually see them as potential friends who you know might be collaborators and that you can help and that they can help you as well. Um, but we don't have a system as such for promoting, pieces of content for me it's more of a case by case situation if we produce a great piece of content i'm not just pushing it out to every single person i know mm-hmm. i'm thinking about who has readers who would benefit from that piece of content and i might email that person
0: yeah um, okay so you're doing direct outreach for yep. for every single post
1: not every single post, but the ones that I see a real connection with. Um, yep. The the only thing that we do do for every single post is, I guess, push it out to our social networks. Yep. Um, we use co schedule for, you know, putting things onto Twitter and onto Facebook at certain intervals after we publish them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah apart from that it's a bit more case by case and really just trying to be useful to the blogosphere sphere in my particular niche as well you know by participating in twitter chats or yeah just engaging on other people's facebook pages and that type of thing
0: also you know how you said not to view people as competitors and more collaborators this is a big thing for people Mm. i know that in in like you know our space you know online online business online entrepreneurship you know startups whatever this is this is fine but what if you had like you're in a different niche do you think that this is relevant for every single niche not to view other people as competitors and and view them as potential collaborators
1: i think it is relevant for every niche but it also it depends how people treat you as well
0: um, so <laughs> yeah, you that's can't true. treat
1: someone as a collaborator who is not wanting to collaborate um, <laughs> yeah
0: of course yeah
1: that doesn't mean you need to get fiercely competitive i for me that just means i um move on
0: yeah <laughs> um, and and
1: move, find someone who is i think in most industries that i've had anything to do with there's usually networking groups and and people who are willing to collaborate who are willing to engage and and work together you know i can think of offline you know, business networks that I've been a part of in the past. Um, and, yes, there's all, always selfish motivations there and, you know, that's I guess part just part of who we are as, mm. as people. We want to um, further ourselves to some degree but I think um, there's always people who are really genuinely open to working together and um, as long as it can be a win-win interaction, um, yeah, I think that definitely that should be your, your starting point is looking for that type of relationship.
0: Mm. Okay, awesome and when it comes to seo and this is a big thing and i don't want to go too deep into it but what are your thoughts overarching thoughts do you like obviously you guys worry about it now but if someone's starting out do they need to worry about it do they just use like a, a plugin like yoast and make sure they get the green the green circle like what what what's your take
1: yeah so i my uh, i've not really changed in my approach to seo at all. I think you should understand the basics, mm. understand, um, you know, think about keywords as you're writing, mm. but not let that determine what you write. Um, I think I generally would write a piece of content. And then as I am getting ready to publish it, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking about, you know, what would people be searching for on Google to find this type of content? And that might impact the title that I have and some of the keywords that I use in subheadings along the way. But I don't build links um i don't do anything to manipulate search results um in a sort of black hat or even a gray hat sort of way i'm i'm just trying to be a good citizen of the web and produce the best content that i can because i, I know ultimately that's what google is trying to put at the top of their results mm-hmm. is great content um, and having said that there, there certainly are problems as a, as your blog grows and as you change you know permalink structures and you know you you change plugins and that type of thing things break on your site and that can get you in trouble with um, Google as well, mm. um, and so right at the moment we're actually doing a bit of an SEO audit. I've ha- had someone come in to give us some advice on it because I don't know enough, uh, and he's found broken things. He's found um, duplicate content across the site, and, yeah. and so occasionally I think it's probably worth doing a bit of an audit and getting someone in to to help you. But in the early days, I'd just be focusing as much as you can on understand the basics but spend most of your time creating great content because it tends to look after itself if you produce that great content and you're promoting it you will eventually get some links coming in and that's probably
0: the best thing you can do Mm, yeah okay awesome and when it comes to guest posting versus posting on your own blog what's your thoughts on that when you're first starting out um like i know a great story is what the guys did at buffer with, mm. um, one of the co-founders, Leo, uh, he just went crazy when they first launched. He, his goal was to post like a guest blog post on like 200 different sites in a year or something. And, mm. and he did that. Um, What's your thoughts on guest blog posting? Is it still very powerful, relevant? I know I, I don't think you guys worry about guest posting much yourselves, do you?
1: Yeah, we don't do a whole heap of posting on other people's blogs. We do, except the occasional one on our own, um, if it's good quality um, content. Um, guest posting used to be really good for seo Mm -hmm. um that has gone um or at least has reduced in how good it is but i think it's great for building your brand um building your profile and i've seen many bloggers um do what uh, the buffer guys did um i think of leo babauta from a a blog called zen habits
0: oh yeah Um, he's the best he's awesome
1: Back in the day, he would do these bursts of guest posting. So he didn't do it all year, but for mm. a month, he would have he would be everywhere for that month. You know, he'd be on Copy Blogger and Problogger and, you know, ten other blogs. Yeah, wow. Um, and then he would disappear from guest posting and just focus on his own blog. And I actually think that's probably a good way to do it is to you know, have this intense burst where suddenly Leo Babatas is everywhere. Who is this guy? And you want to check him out and then just go back to working on your own. And he would do that, I, I reckon, probably once or twice a year. And you have these months where he'd just produce insane amounts of content for other blogs. And then he'd just focus on his own blog and writing his own books and, and that type of thing. Um, I know other bloggers who just say, I'm going to do two a month. And so they just trickle it out over time. But I just suspect if you have those intense bursts, particularly if you're tackling a particular niche and you're on every big blog in that niche, that's probably a
0: a good way to go. Mm, Yeah, that's a really good call. Um, so yeah, okay. Well look, um, I'm curious, you know, once once you're generating traffic and you know, you're building a relationship with your audience and people are actually coming back to your blog, they don't just read it once, they might come back. You know, what what's next? How do you get people to buy your product? Because this is a thing that I think some people get caught with. They just get stuck in just the creation of the content and the free mm-hmm. stuff and they feel, you know. Like some people don't like to sell, and this is something yeah. that I went through myself. Down where I wasn't always comfortable selling; it was kind of like a process that I needed to go through sure. over time.
1: Yeah, look, it, it's tricky. I was exactly the same, and my first monetization was not selling at all. It was just advertising on my my blog, and I still do that. Um, we still have ads running on our blogs mm. um, on on Digital Photography School, I should say. Um, the other type of monetization I did in the early days was affiliate marketing. Um, And it was fairly gentle initially. Um, It was just mentioning books on Amazon and earning you a few cents for a (laughs) conversion there per thing. But I think affiliate marketing is probably a good way. in if you're feeling uncomfortable with selling and you don't yet have the confidence to produce a, a product or you don't even really quite know what product you might want to create yet, affiliate marketing I think is a great way to one, learn how to sell to test what products work or what whether ebooks work or whether courses work or uh, to test price points um, and to test the topics of content as well. And so on digital photography school, before I created any product of my own, I had already promoted probably about seven or eight different eBooks, a number of courses, some software. And I'd worked out that my readers responded well to eBooks and they were willing to pay about $20 a product. um, And that there were certain topics of eBooks that they really responded well to and others that they didn't. So I knew what product to create based upon what I'd already promoted. And I guess the other benefit of promoting a a product as an affiliate is that you've got money coming in without having to create anything of your own. So you can do that while you're investing your time into creating your own product. The other benefit is that it gets your readers used to the selling process. Um, And that can be... Hard on some blogs. If you haven't sold anything and you've built this audience, and then suddenly you start shoving a product down their throat, you know you might want to warm them up a little bit to the idea of of being sold to. So I think affiliate marketing is probably a good starting place, both to learn what to create, but also to to learn about selling on your blog and get used to that in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that that's how I started out, and then the first product I created was largely repurposed content. So content that I'd already published on my blog. It was content that I already uh, knew my readers had engaged with well. And then I added some extra content into that ebook. So it was largely Republished, updated, reordered, and a little bit of new stuff. And I was skeptical as to whether my readers would buy something that I'd already published on the blog, but mm. they they really responded very well to it, both on ProBlogger and Digital Photography School. Why? Um, why? I think because I delivered so much value over um, the past that some of my readers just wanted to say thank you. Some of them wanted that information in a more logically ordered, up-to-date fashion. Um, so 31 Days to Build a Better Blog is probably a good example of that. We published these 31 blog posts, but if you wanted to find them all on the blog, you had to do searches and you had to follow links, and people just wanted it in one solid PDF so that they could own it and so that they could have it. These days, we generally don't publish re- too much repurposed content in our ebooks. We write them from scratch, but I think it's a good starting place um, and certainly easier to write an ebook, for example, if you've already got some of the content written um, as well. We were very transparent that we told our readers what they were buying, that it was already on the blog um, and they responded very well to that.
0: Okay. All right. Interesting. And what if you have a product but you don't feel comfortable selling but you're building your blog? What should that sales process look like, you think?
1: Um, I think probably the best thing to do is to build some sort of an opt-in into your email list um, that is going to take them a step towards that product um, mm-hmm. in some way. So um, we haven't done too many opt-ins over the years, but we're starting to do that now. And our opt-ins are trying to solve a problem for people in in the first 10 or so minutes after they get that opt-in. And that solves a, a part of their big problem that you'll solve with the product itself. And so you want to take people on the journey and, and start bringing about the you know, small changes um, that hint at the bigger changes that you want to bring. Um, and I think if you have had a positive impact upon someone before you start selling to them, um, they're much more open to being sold to as well. And I guess that's why our eBooks worked in the early days is that we'd already brought about some change in people's lives. And so they were open to, to being sold to in, in that way.
0: Mm. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And you know, when it comes to the emails, and I know this is a beast of a topic, but do you have a, a recommended suggestion, three emails, two emails, you know, objection handling, you know, why you should choose, but like what, what is sure. your,
1: yeah, we do. Um, We do usually our products are launched with a four email campaign mm-hmm. over five weeks. So we would start with an email that introduces the product, introduces the offer that we have, either a bonus offer or a discount. And I know discounting is controversial. Some people like to do it, some people don't. (laughs) We find some combination of a bonus and a discount does work well with our audience. And so we tend to do that. The second email sometimes will be, in fact, we're sending one tonight. It's our second email in a new ebook, and it will be a testimonial Mm -hmm. email, very much based upon social proof what people are saying about it helping them to decide whether um, you know they want to um, do that and we usually in that second email emphasize the fact that we have a money back guarantee so there's you know an element of no risk there and we're very good with giving our you know full money back if if people don't find the product useful third email um, sometimes we have a a break in the third week um, and then do two more after that. Sometimes we go straight into a third and it's it'll change from campaign to campaign. But it um, quite often is a competition that we might run around the product that we're creating. Sometimes it will be an upsell type thing. If a lot of people have bought it, we might offer a bundle mm-hmm. um, option at that point. And then the last email generally is a last chance type email, grab it before it's gone. It does vary a bit, but generally they're the type of elements that we're including in our different campaigns. Objections we try and address in the sales page.
0: Um, uh, okay, yep.
1: And we try and test that as much as possible and have a frequently asked questions about this product section on, our, on most of our sales pages that try to address some of those. And we know some of the objections people have just to the fact that it's an ebook, for instance, or some of the questions that they're going to ask. We try and remove those questions from their minds on the sales page. Um, and occasionally in the first email, we might include a few of those sort of trigger ones that we know will
0: be hot for people. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. That's a great little format. Awesome. Okay. We're going to switch gears and work towards wrapping up. Uh, one thing I will mention though, is I've consistently found amazing talent on the pro blogger job site. Like this was a recommendation that Neil Patel told me um, and it is just an absolute beast. Like you guys, you guys attract some amazing quality writers. Um, so I just have to say that, like, mm. it's really impressive. Like I know now, if we want to find anyone around content stuff, I will just put a post on the Pro Blogger Job Board, and we'll find someone amazing. Like, it's, it's really remarkable. powerful.
1: Uh, we, I started that very impulsively. Quite a few years ago now, I don't actually know when, um, and it's a great one. It's a great passive income for us, but two, it's fantastic for us when we're looking for writers as well, we yeah. advertise on it semi-regularly too. It's amazing. <laughs> you get in under. Oh, my God, Yeah. Um, you know, and often depends on the, the quality of your job and what what you're willing to pay. But um yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah. been a goldmine. We're actually in the process of updating it at the moment. So I suspect by the time this interview goes live, there'll be a new version and expanded on what it is.
0: Yeah, yeah. No, I just have to mention that if you are looking for great writers, and this kind of brings me to our next piece, is, you know, something that you would be very um good at. Is analysing good writers and trying to work out good people to work with in terms of writing. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, three maybe things that you look for in terms of a good writer that who could take away.
1: Yeah, it's 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 an interesting one. I mean, some people just have it, and it's one of the it's mojo. <laughs> <Like> it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just like wow, you know that you just know <laughs> yeah. as soon as it's their first line, you are just like wow they They just have it, and that's hard to teach. Um, I think a lot of it for me is about understanding the reader. and you know, I've said it three or four times, but you know, changing people's life in some way and and being genuinely interested in that. I think I was just doing a podcast yesterday on this. It's about putting yourself in a position where you understand the pain or the problem. And, and you feel the problem and the pain of your reader. I think if you can put yourself in that position. So for me, one of the things I've been doing lately is periscoping quite a bit. And mm. the reason I'm doing that is that it puts me in a conversation with my readers. I actually love Blab even more. I don't know if you've done many Blabs. But yeah, when, it's
0: awesome. When I you have conversations
1: with your readers and you, they ask you those questions and you can feel the emotion behind their questions, mm. Um I find that my best writing happens just after either a blab or just after a comeback from our conference. And I, I've had personal conversations with people and I write out of what I heard um, from them. Um, sounds a bit sadomasochistic <laughs> that you want to hear people's pain all the time. <laughs> but um, I think if you can write from that place, that's, that's great. Um, you know, then there's a whole heap of other technical things like, you know, great titles. I think it's really important to have a title. It's mm. going to lead people to read that first line. Um, a, a hook at the start that gets in touch with people's, that problem that you're writing about, that you're writing to solve, um, you've got to give people a reason to read and promise something to them in that opening paragraph. So present the need that you're going to tackle, promise something to them by the end of this article, I'm going to teach you this, and then clear. I, I love articles that clearly lead me through a process that have been very logically ordered. I don't just like random tips. I, mm. I want things that build upon the things that have already been written, and that that takes time to craft that type of article. But, yeah, it's the same with presentations at a conference. I, I love hearing people work through a process and lead people through a, topic, a journey, yeah. a journey. Um, mm. Yeah, journey is is a, a big thing about it. Um, and you know, then there's other things. If if we've got people pitching for guest posts, I love people who um, are willing to promote that content to their social networks. I love people who are willing to engage in the comment section with their audience. It's amazing how many people guest post on our blog and then never show up to, to respond to comments and to yeah, that's answer really questions. Rude. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, people go that extra mile with the promotion of the content and the, the commenting on the content. That to me is what we will have back again and again as an author, um, as many times as they want to write for us.
0: Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, look, that was, that was really insightful. Thank you, Darren. So two, two more questions. One, what is your favorite blog out of curiosity? And two, uh, where's the best place people can find you? Favourite blog.
1: Oh, gosh. Uh, it changes every day, really. Um, I'm I'm probably more into podcasts at the moment.
0: Than, oh, okay. Um, favourite podcast.
1: Oh, well, and again, they're not really related to the <laughs> topics that I write about. But, yeah, that's all um, good. You know, Invisibilia, Serial, you know, all those NPR um, yeah. podcasts are just – I could listen to them all day and mm. sometimes do. Uh, one of my favourite blogs is a little blog called Carryology. It's about, a blog about bags and, oh. you know, backpacks, and I've got a bit of a thing for – Bags. Oh, wow. Okay. Interesting. Even more so than my wife does, so it's pretty <laughs> cool. Um, so that's cool. Um, and what was the other question? Best place people can find you. Oh, best place, problogger.com. Um, is, we're moving a lot of our stuff from problogger.net, which we had in the early days, over to .com. So the podcasts there now, um, information about our event, the blog um, will be there by the time this goes live. Um, the job boards will be there. Um, and I guess- all our social media profiles, we're on Facebook and Twitter as well. Um, if you search for ProBlogger on those places, you'll find them.
0: Awesome. Well, look, um, this is an amazing chat, Darren. So thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been great to chat with you again. Hey, guys. I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content either start or grow their business